On this transmission special, we get the scoop on the upcoming book, The Art and Making of the Transformers War for Cybertron Trilogy, a perfect companion to the Netflix series. Author Mike Avila and showrunner F.J. DeSanto sit down to tell us all about it. Welcome to a very special Transmissions podcast episode. We are talking to F.J. DeSanto and Mike Avila from Transformers War for Cybertron Trilogy on Netflix. And uh, they produced the book, the art and making of the Transformers War for Cybertron Trilogy. So it's great to see this. Uh, this uh, goes into the all the origins and the backstory, how, how this show came to be, and then everything that, uh, you know, goes down a deep dive into everything that happened uh, in the, in the show and all, all the behind the scenes for, you know, all of us diehard transformers fans. So uh, it it was, it's a great, uh, you know, great companion piece to the, uh, the Netflix series that uh, we thoroughly enjoyed uh, watching for the last couple of years. So uh, FJ and Mike, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us to be back. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, yeah, I mean, FJ, we we talked to you, uh, you know, several times, uh, you know, after each. Uh, I think we we did an interview after each uh, each um, uh, installment in the War for Cybertron trilogy. So it's great to see uh, everything collected into this uh, into this book here. So uh, I guess I guess uh, for for both you and for Mike, how did the how did the book come together in terms of you know what was the impetus behind putting this together and, and uh, you know, providing this kind of companion to the fans? I begged Mike to do it. That's basically <laughs> the version of it. Was, it was and the, I had no work and I said, sure, I'll do it. <laughs> it was a, it was, to, to be honest, it was a pipe dream to have something like this for it. Like I grew up loving art of and making up books. I still collect them for all the movies and shows that I like. Uh, even shows I don't like. I just love the process and seeing how they develop. And, you know, I kept saying halfway jokingly throughout the entire thing, like, this would look cool in a making of book. And I would say to Hasbro, like, you know, making of book, art of book. (laughs) And then I'll let Mike sort of tell the story how we came to Mike and I have been friends for ages. So we've, we've spent many years nerding out over things and, you know, many meals and drinks and stuff like that. And, I just said to him, you know, Mike had a track record now of doing these really cool books. And I literally just said, like, why don't you do a book based on this? And I'll let Mike sort of pick it up from there. Yeah, I mean, it was really just like that. It was a casual conversation. We talked about it. And and then I said, pick the idea to have If they dig it, then I'd love to do it. You know, because I, I had started watching the show and thankfully I liked it. It would have been really an awkward conversation with my pal here if I hated it. <laughs> oh no, I'm really busy, you know. But everything really aligned quickly. I was actually without any work then because the pandemic had killed all the work I was doing for people like Sci-Fi. wasn't traveling anywhere because of the pandemic, and so I was thinking, okay, I was starting to line up little projects here and there. But I, I had just finished one book, and another book I was doing was delayed. And it turned out it was late just enough time that it gave me a, 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 a several month window that I didn't have anything to do. And this came, and I, did, I had no idea if it would line up, and usually it wouldn't. But FJ followed up with Hasbro immediately. They said, Yeah, that's a great idea. And so I sent the pitch in. And then I remember I, my editor uh, for the book, Amanda Ng, 
reached out to me, I think within a month of that conversation, maybe six weeks. And then it was rocking and rolling and ready to go. It went really it was quick. Like crazy because then the deadline that we had to try to meet to, to get the book printed in a timely schedule, they would tell the, um, fit right into the window of the time that the other book that I had signed on to do was delayed. And so I'm sitting there writing like a crazy person doing it. <laughs> and it just, it just really worked out very well. Now, the funny thing is, literally right after I signed the contract, with with Viz Media to do the book, all of a sudden I had a ton of other freelance work doing because I'm a freelancer. I do you know TV producing, writing for other sites and blah blah blah, and all this. So all of a sudden I'm doing this book, thinking it's the only project I have, and then I have like five things laying on on my on my on my desk, which I can't say no to because I got two kids and kids are expensive and you know <laughs> can't say no to work, and, and that was it. But honestly, it was it was it was a lot of fun because I really enjoyed the show and I hadn't really been into Transformers in a while. I'm an old school G1 guy. So I really enjoyed the show um, writing about it. Plus, I'll say this to everybody listening to the podcast. If you get a chance to work with a friend, always do it. Because unless they're assholes, it'll be a really rewarding experience. And FJ <laughs> isn't an asshole. Oh, See that's you. good. <laughs> yeah. Some would argue. Well, <laughs> so, Mike, since since you I mean, you weren't involved with the production of the show, so how did you uh, how did you collect uh, and get all the information for the book? Did you was it just with FJ, or did you have to go talk to lots of the producers and uh, the people who produced the show? And like, how many people did you talk to and, and collect information from? I mean, I talked to almost twenty people for this. Uh, one thing I've learned from doing a few of these is a certain plan of attack. And the first thing you, you, you want to figure out that list of people you want to talk to. Um, it, it's always good to start at the top. With TV shows, um, it's different than film. Film eventually, the, the most important people on a film will be a director, um, the production designers, and, 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 and at least one of the producers, right? Um, there's so many writers now in big Hollywood movies that they, they don't even remember what draft they wrote something that kind of made it on. But with the, with the TV show, the, the, the producers and the showrunner are vastly important because they're overseeing everything. And so they, they have a great broad knowledge that can give you the, the structure of the story that you want to kind of fill in with details. Um, I had the advantage of being friends with FJ, so if I needed follow-ups, I could do it quite easily. Um, and then he introduced me to Matt Murray, his number two on the show. And Matt was, was fantastic because... Matt remembers all the great details that old guys like FJ will forget, you know, due to their, <laughs> their, their gray hair and, and, and all the other nonsense. Um, and so that was hugely important because there's a lot of detail in the show. Um, and if you're not uh, blessed with a biblical knowledge of, of the Transformers mythos, it helps to have, you know, people who, who, know, who are in the weeds on it. Um, but the writers in the show too were, were really helpful because I found out as, as I was going through the process how helpful they were to to the process of the show because they each brought their own strengths and knowledge. I mean, I'm sure you guys know Tim and Gavin and May and Brandon. They're all Transformers Uber nerds. Yeah, you know, and, and that was incredibly helpful. I, I think I talked to May had for like two hours, and it was like I just got in a crash course in Beast Wars Austin, and it was <laughs> awesome because it helped provide context. You guys all know. What happened in the episode? I'm sure you watched them once, twice, three, five times. 
So my job is to try to provide some context for that part of the story and then to to show how the sausage is made and to find and unearth the, the interesting details that'll say, ah, money well spent. Because I know what it's like to buy one of these books. And I'm like, oh, really? That kind of sucks. You know, I brought this up earlier in another interview. Somebody got mad uh, about my Aquaman book in an Amazon interview and said, there are no images in the book. I bought this because I love the movie and there are no images from the book. Why would you spend 30, 40 bucks on an art, on a making of book just to see the same screenshot images you can get off your DVD or Blu-ray, right? You guys want to see the stuff that didn't make air, right? You yeah. want to see the toy images, whatnot. And, and that was a great thing to me. And it was a really fun part to work on because I think with this book, I spent more time focused on the design than, than I have in previous books because there was so much great stuff to to work with from the toy shots and the packaging art to all the great concept art, which FJ knows this, I spend more time thinking about original art than I do anything else. Um, so to get a chance to have access to all the great sketches and drawings and all the previous stuff that, that went into making the show, man, I figured other people would be interested in it too. Yeah, yeah I, I was just yeah, I was flipping tight. through the, the review, like the galley that we were given and just you have you have so much of the those sketches and things and and it's really nice to see how like a, a particular scene comes together from like the storyboards and I, I really like how you did that. There's so many images in here. Wow. I mean, there was plenty of stuff I hadn't even seen. You know, like we were getting stuff from Polygon. I was like, where the hell was this? You know, you know. <laughs> now it's all stuck on my hard drive somewhere. Which now someone from Hasbro will probably just mug me for my computer tomorrow but <laughs> did you have a lot of stuff that you just had to leave out for time and space what in the show or the book well, in the book oh yeah, oh, yeah. The, the book could have been a five honestly if 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 i would have done this via kickstarter for example and convinced Hasbro let me do it i, I, I would have done a 500 page art book with little blurbs because the art, the art in the show is beautiful, and I mean art in the show. I mean everything, including the the packaging art for the toys that Hasbro did, which is mm-hmm. fantastic. And that I'm as interested in as I am in anything else. And I don't even collect Transformers toys much. I like one or two to have around, but that's it. But I always love packaging art. There's just dozens and dozens of great images that we just didn't have room for. But so that was the balance, and the stuff from Polygon. And all the background stuff. Oh man, you kidding me? All the stuff that they built to fulfill the vision that FJ and his team had for like the Cybertron society that you don't even see really in the show, but is referenced and hinted at and seen in the rubble. That could have made its own book. Like there's just a lot of stuff there. So we snuck in a few of those, um, you know, and I, and and I tried to a lot of the information that I didn't have space for in in the text there, I used it to to fill in some of the the photo captions because th- there was just a lot of great detail. Talking with the animators too, they they were really helpful about sharing all the great detail that went into how they approached it and the things that they thought about as they were coming up with images and designing you know the arena which they made they 
one of the animators told me that they looked at the there's a train line. FJ, you know this because you've been to Japan multiple times. I've never been. There's a train line that circles the city, and they wanted the the arena to basically be like that the circumference of it. I sucked at math. I was an English guy, but <laughs> I think that was the word that they used. Okay, like that's the kind of detail that went into, and then they came prepared with the exact measurements too. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, because like. They said that FJ always kept saying scale, scale, scale. That was his obsession along with the mercenaries. So they were ready <laughs> for me when I was talking to give me the exact numbers of how they, they came up with the scale for certain characters and buildings and things like that. Oh, that's awesome. I'm a scale queen, I guess. That's <laughs> Come on, I just set you up for the mercenaries. Jump right into it. That's oh, I, they know. Look, the, anybody who's listened to this podcast has heard me ad nauseum about the mercenaries like there's unless there's a question that i'm not going to torture them any more than i have already these guys have been through <laughs> it they've been through it with me on this but the scale stuff you know to, to be honest and i'm glad it's in the book was you know and i don't know if i ever said this on the podcast if i did you can shut me up is you know each series each season had its own specific scale you know like we'd sit there mm. and be like we wanted cybertron to be this humongous place that dwarfed the characters so like even if you have the the theater and all that stuff like it was a and then in, in you know that, that it was scaled for them to live in but then when you got to space it was even bigger and then when you got to earth you know in earth rise they were bigger than trees and stuff like you know like we, we we played around with that that was all intentional like i wanted a scope to it like i didn't want it to feel small if that made sense yeah yeah i mean in in addition like not just um like physical scale but also a uh, temporal scale like i noticed going through the book th- there's a timeline uh talk you know in the book about it, like what you know how when the events take place and and you you've blown it out to like hundreds of millions of years so it's, that it's hasbro hasbro did all that oh really so okay what, you know when i first started working with hasbro i don't know if i've ever said this before talking to you guys when i first started working with hasbro when we were doing prime wars they didn't have any sort of sense of the franchise and the multiverse and all that stuff and by the time we got around to um war for cybertron they had like a deck that was sort of like here are the analogs of the characters here's the history of the franchise here's the thing that anybody who was working on the franchise could work off of and it would be consistent and one of the interesting things was a variation of that timeline um where it's a much in the in the brand deck in sort of the top secret hasbro thing is a much larger like here's how every series fits in so like in their minds which i don't even necessarily agree with but in their minds g1 is the start and prime wars trilogy was the end of g1 Mm. right like that that was their idea was like that was the end of g1 and then everything sort of fit in between so we actually because you know what really got tricky was they wanted the timeline i didn't care about the timeline because i was dealing with a specific thing but for them to understand Beast Wars in particular because it screwed this show screwed everything up in terms of their time. <laughs> the idea was like you started here, you went to here, and then you went all the way back to here, and it was like in my mind it was like no, but they sort of went and sort of after they had the scripts and seen the majority of the show, sort of came back with the timeline you see in the book. They're like we had to argue over sort of where Beast Wars was. Where was original Beast Wars versus this Beast Wars versus Kingdom? Like, where did that all fit in? 
in the multiverse and all that stuff like what is the timeline of that like when are the maximals and predacons like how far away is that you know before they mm-hmm. travel back you know there, there was all kinds of like back and forth and those were to, to be quite frank no pun intended that i would have to sit there and just be like you guys figure that out it's your franchise like i'm not gonna <laughs> sit there and argue this shit you know what i mean yeah. because my job is just to tell the story like i'm not sitting there like because you know that there's that what was problematic for them was that one cold open i forget which episode in kingdom where it's the flashback of them stealing the golden disc that like screwed them up like they were just like when is that and i'm just like i don't know (laughs) you know like i don't know when the hell it's gonna be my job is just to convey the story of the importance of the golden disc and why beast wars megatron has stolen it and you know and we had all this fertile terrain of figuring out what's on the golden disc so you know that was the beauty of Beast Wars yeah. never being finished was we could sort of play around with all that stuff in a way that Until you know, the... before. Sorry, it's a, it's <laughs> my, my maximal right here. <laughs> hey, you guys want to know the only time there was any sort of hint of drama in the process of making this book was when I texted him and I go, hey, we got to talk about the timeline and the whole multiverse thing. What's going on here? And he goes, uh-oh. <laughs> He gets another call and he goes, okay, here's the thing. And then 20 minutes later, he still hasn't explained it to me. Just danced around it. And I go, dude, I'm more confused now than ever. And so he goes, <laughs> okay, you got to call Matt Murray. And so I had to call Matt. And then he walked me through it. And it's like, and then FJ again told, tells me, essentially FJ punted it <laughs> to Matt because he says, you know what? My brain can't handle at a certain point when you his, 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 his brain couldn't handle it, and he said, at a certain point, I just got to worry about getting my show done, not about the long-standing damage I'm doing to the timeline. And then Matt Murray very smartly tells me, he goes, "Look, ultimately, in my mind, and I put this in the book, the moment the All Spark is sent, is flung by by Optimus, that's when the divergence happens, and that's when the Transformers multiverse." No, it's the dead universe. That's the I'm just the, the quote is in the book. That's what you say. See, that's what I mean. Like there's different there's different instances here. But it but it, it speaks to it uh, about that being you know such a big moment, right? And it's mm-hmm. like I remember at first when when I told him when I when I told him we gotta talk about this in the book, and he goes, Do we really have to? And I go, Yeah, you gotta have to because it's a big deal. You brought G1 and Beast Wars together. It's clearly a timeline. You know, kerfluffle. So I can't wait to read the book now. This will all be new to me. This is very. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, by, I, the way, by the way, that's Hasbro's fault because I didn't come up with the idea of the third act being Kingdom. Like I, I'm sure I've told you guys this before. There were multiple times where I'd sit there and be like, "Guys, I'm not the one who thought of this. Like, this is your. You're the ones who wanted the Beast Wars and G1 characters to meet." Like, it's not my fault that that completely contradicts the G1 and the Beast Wars series. And they'd be like, oh, you're right. You know, like that kind of thing. But could you do this? No, I can't do what you asked because that happened 12 times in, you know, 1992 <laughs> or something like that. Like, and I'm not I'm not doing it again. Like, it doesn't service the story. It's like, it's like how they wanted the show to end. I, I guess I, I'm sure I've told you this too. You know, they wanted the show ending with Optimus going to Earth to start G1. And I was sitting there going, guys, I just spent 12 of the 18 episodes of him trying to get back to Cybertron. He's not leaving. He can leave next week and somebody else can tell that story. You know, that kind of thing. Like mm-hmm. your timelines don't mean jack to me at a certain point. 
uh, beyond the timeline I'm establishing that, by the way, you gave the mandates to. Right? <laughs> <laughs> they eventually it's kind of, relented. They were good with it, but you it, know. I mean, it's kind of, um, I don't know, crazy to try to fit every single Transformer story within one continuity. I mean, they were upset you, with it ending with G one. They were obsessed oh. with it, and Gordon in particular. And I, I'd have to push back on it. There, there were two things they were obsessed with, right? I don't know if any of this is in the book because probably not because I'm throwing them under the bus. Is <laughs> they wanted desperately before we got to Kingdom, they wanted the G1 characters to land in Portland, Oregon in 1984 or six, whatever the hell it was, and get the Earth modes and then go to G, uh, then go to Beast Wars, right? So it's like, dude, I have six episodes. And you want me to build Earth in 1986 just to do this? Like, I can't do it. I can't pull it off. And that leads to the Earth mode story that's in the book about Optimus and all that stuff, um, which I've told you guys before. But, you know, like that was that was their one thing, which was like, you know, they got to go to Portland, Oregon, and they've got to, um, and it's got to end with on G1. And by the way, if you look at all the packaging art for Earthrise, it's all Portland, Oregon. Like that was like their no. like passive aggressive way. Like if you look at them, they're like <laughs> in forests and stuff. That was like their passive aggressive way of saying, "Could you do that?" Because like, hey, we've already established this, and I'm like, no, like that's not going to happen. Like I need to like you're because you're underserving the Beast Wars characters, and you know, like I got to focus on those guys in the from the very first episode of Kingdom. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> I would I would have said give give you more episodes, but they they, they I, I don't know why they they limited you so much to to six episodes per, well, per series. The problem is, you know, in retrospect and based on the performance of the show, the show probably would have been served better if it was two nine episode seasons. Mm. You know, Earthrise was just like sort of like a couple of episodes in between, um, because you know the show did really well. Then it dropped for Earthrise, but then it jumped back up for Kingdom because of the interest in the. The, you know in the in mm-hmm. the characters um yeah. but the problem is and this is you know net the blessing and the curse was it was hasbro that wanted the three chapter thing to go with the toy line so netflix agreed to that they didn't have to but they did so and you know when, when they agree to that you don't know your episode count at that point like i was fighting you know for eight to ten for each and they're just like we don't have the money for that. Like then it's then it's cost prohibitive, and well, I can't really argue. So I got to figure out how to do this. I just went through this on Tekken, which came out last week, which is also six episodes, which was a nightmare. Like I'm watching it, you know, on you know, and again, Gavin wrote that show, and that's why Gavin's not on Kingdom because I took him and put him on Tekken for us. And you're sitting there going, oh, I wish I had four more episodes of this. You know, I'm like emailing Netflix, like you should have given me four more episodes. And they're just like, yeah. <laughs> by the way, in the book, we we do. I I did my best to try to explain why they're in Ecuador and what would become Tibet, you know, in, in Kingdom. But then they wind up in Portland. Like the idea was, and this is part of the deck was that it was Earth was one giant supercontinent there, so they had much less ground to cover. Mm-hmm. So Tibet was much closer to Oregon. Hey, look, we we got to work with what we have, okay? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but there's some really good images in there that that kind of lay out the topography uh, of Kingdom and where it relates to Portland because they did want the consistency there. 
Yeah, I, I did notice that. That's yeah, that's <laughs> that's awesome. I mean, those are things we can do when we know in advance. Like, well, it's got to be Ecuador. All right, we'll figure out what was Ecuador like at that particular. You know, like, and of course, mm-hmm. you take creative liberties with it, but you know, you at least sat there and, and we didn't put it in you know portland oregon you know so you know in 1997 you know like that kind of thing it's just like we try to stay true to this stuff but there's there's a certain limit like like again with the timeline it's like you know unless it directly impacts the show in some immediate nature i ain't got time to think about that stuff canon yes it's always canon but you know i defer to the writers who were as you guys i mean i think the majority of the writers have been on your show it's it, and Matt was on at one point with me. Is you know everybody ha- loves the sh- the franchise enough where some of that stuff is automatically protected, you know, or sort of it's in, in inherent in the language we speak when creating the show. And I think the book really does a good job of conveying that. Like I'm super excited. I'm Mike has a hard copy as you can see above his head. I don't even have a hard copy yet. I don't want to kill him. I have two. Two. two <laughs> oh. Wow. God damn it. I don't even have the finished PDF. I have like a draft of it. Um, but anyway, it'll be like Christmas when it shows up. I'll just disappear for like two days and read it. So it it, it turned out really nice. I think the, I think the designer Biz did an incredible job. Like the, the quality of really, really nice job. The design is good. And, you know, and they gave us look, you guys are Scorpionock, man. Come you on. guys oh, yeah. know me well enough. It's like that's the kind of shit you want to see. That I want to see that that our level of nerdiness, that our level of detail, and not some surfacey, just like yeah, we had so much fun writing this. You know, it's like Mike really went into like the minutia of it, and because we have such a good relationship, I was able to sit there and great toys. Like, and again, that was really important was to feature the toys as much as possible too. Yeah, and you know, and that was before like we announced the book. Like it was like we gotta have the toys in it. Like the without the toys, there's no show, right? So. Right that was really important to us. And Mike did a really awesome job of sort of talking to everybody on every level. So none of that's in the show. Yeah. See, this was one of my favorite additions in the book uh, that was Matt Hasbrook, you know, allowed it to use from there, like in-house materials, the insignias and everything. And I'm like, that's kind of stuff that hopefully makes it worthwhile for, for Transformers fans to, to pick it up because there's more than just the usual stuff. You know, then, then I think they they get they, there's so much great material in the Transformers property for for books like this that you know it really became a choice of okay what can't we use you know <laughs> and, and how do we fit it all in there and and that's easier said than done I'm telling you one of the hardest aspects of one of these books is figuring out how to put the stuff in and in a cohesive way that that reads well. And the designers did a really good job, I think, with this. And I look, I worked on some books that we all went into it with the best of intention, didn't turn it out quite the way we wanted it. Um, this one, I'm, I'm I'm as happy with as any of the, any of the ones that I've done before. Yeah, awesome. yeah, I was that those insignias were something that I that yeah, I was not aware that every character had their own insignia. That was a really cool addition to the book uh, that that you showed there. That was it's on the toys. You know, it was yeah. just we yeah. made a decision not to use them because you'd have to like change all the different models and stuff like that. We just decided, you know, like I don't I don't know why we it was just too much. But it's so yeah. cool that it's in the book because. 
you get to see the differences between the, you know, the product versus the entertainment as they as the yeah. brand people would say i remember hasbro mentioning the insignias when they were announcing the toy line but i didn't realize it was each character like i, I thought it was just like rank type insignias yeah so that, that's really cool yeah so, and yeah. by the way that's how the mercenary thing happened was they had designed all these logos and things like that and they were just on like you know like a slideshow in the office just showing all these different things and so much came out of that you know like between the mercenary stuff like scorpionox logo all that stuff that all came out of one giant meeting you know that initial meeting that's where we decided to do alita that's where we decided to do mercenaries all that stuff that all came out of one giant meeting where we got to see a lot of these things that you now see in the book that have never been shown before awesome very cool well, I, I I think we're at time, so I I don't know if, if we can go much longer, but I, I do want to thank you guys for, for talking to us. Uh, the art and making of the War for Cybertron trilogy, the I believe the book comes out October 11th. So, uh, Mundo. Yeah, so everyone that, you know, if you can pre-order, I think you can probably pre-order it now on Amazon or anywhere else. Uh, and yeah, it'll, it'll be out just a, you know, a couple of months. So uh, check it out. Um, Mike, uh, anything else that you've been working on that, that you want to plug or, or talk about before we uh, wrap things up? Uh, can't talk about my, my, my next book because it's, uh, unannounced. Uh, it's on a sci-fi show that's currently airing on television somewhere. Uh, I will plug my, well, my Wolverine book is back there. Uh, Wolverine creating Marvel's legendary mutant. That was my most recent release. Uh, quite happy with that one. It tells the entire comic book history of Wolverine. And believe me, that was harder than it sounds put together <laughs> <laughs> awesome yeah th- uh, mike avila thanks uh thanks for talking to us and of course uh fj DeSanto, the uh, showrunner and producer of transformers war for cybertron trilogy trilogy anything you've got uh cooking up you mentioned the tekken series tekken came out last on? week which okay. started literally the same day as transformers so i was juggling both shows at the same time matt and i and gavin um and i'm super excited with how it came out um it's it was a a much tougher experience to make tekken than it was transformers let's just say um much more challenging doing a video game property versus an iconic toy property that said the show came out great i'm super proud of it and literally i'm writing the pilot for the next show i'm doing which i can't say yet but it's for a big streamer that i haven't worked with yet um you know they got a green light it but they're you know, the, a pilot is happening it's based on a on a comic book property um and that's keeping me busy and then subsequently my work with vault comics on the producing side live action side things like that we're setting things up getting things made and you know as always busy as hell and then you also have trade secrets for music side yeah no of course the band yes the the single (laughs) came out last week also so so i had a single and a show out last week so there's a new single out there's some remixes that are coming out this week and then the week after which people don't know yet through our friend jim at distortion productions who's my my brother in arms and uh has taken very good care of me on the musical end yeah shout out to jimmers yep <laughs> all right well thanks again to mike avila and fj DeSanto. and uh this has been the transmissions podcast uh and uh i'm big c and down there's jeremy we'll see you later yeah, say hi to daryl thanks guys this is a lot of fun <laughs> Thanks, yeah. Thanks, guys. It's always good to see you both. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Transmissions. If you'd like to join the conversation, travel to our Discord channel at transmissionspodcast.com slash discord. Want some cool transmission swag? Feast your eyes on our transmissions gear at transmissionspodcast.com slash shop. If you'd like to support our podcast, go to transmissionspodcast.com slash support or tell your friends about our show. We'll see you next time. Transmissions.